There's a burden on my heart to bring a word to you. It comes out of, of my struggle, and, and I pray that we can connect in this together. I see it as the struggle of many of the great men and women of Scripture. And as we go through it, may you be helped and encouraged. If you had a doubt meter, and low would be referencing those seasons where you're not dealing with a lot of doubt, and then over there to the high side where there's some great uncertainty in your life, where would you be right now? Where would the doubt meter register? One thing that we learn by studying our own lives and the lives of the people of Scripture is that doubt is inescapable. Great people. You think about David who, who wrote half of the Psalms, and the Psalms the largest book of the Bible with 150, half of them written by David. And think how many times in those that he wrote you hear him raising questions that rise out of his own doubt. Job is another significant book of Scripture. And when Job came through the trials, he began to ask God one question after another that rose out of doubt because of the circumstances he was going through. All of these things just remind us that doubt is inescapable and we're going to have to do something with it because all of us face doubt. Moses was called by God and given an assignment to lead the children of Israel, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And he doubted himself. He doubted God's ability to use him to be that deliverer. Once he overcame that, he went and as he led the Israelites out of Egypt, they get to the Red Sea and they doubt God. They come through the Red Sea by a miracle of God and one miracle after another unfolds in their life. And yet if you chronicle their story, they had one doubt after the other. Even though great miracles were happening, they still had doubt in their life. You come to the New Testament and the writer of two-thirds of it is the Apostle Paul, a man who experienced miracles, a man who had insight and visions of heaven like no other person, a person who walked in, in the power of the Spirit to see people come into the family of God, to see people converted, to plant churches, entire cities that were influenced by God's grace through his message and ministry. When he was in prison being set free there in Philippi and every other prisoner set free. And when they are about to leave, he tells them not to. The jailer, knowing that his job is on the line, therefore his life is on the line. If all of these people go free, he is worried and he falls at the feet of Paul wanting to know how he can be saved. And he gets saved along with his entire family. So one miracle after another in his life. And yet Paul writes... These very words in Corinthians, sometimes I doubt. That great guy, that great man of faith, willing to be honest with his own doubts. All of them had a doubt meter, and at times it was pretty significant in their life. I have those times, and you do, so what do we do with them? And that's what this message is all about. I guess the good news is that Jesus has no problem with our doubt. There's a difference in someone who's an unbeliever and someone who is struggling with doubt. There's a difference when you just refuse to believe and when you are struggling to believe, but you can't. You want to believe, but you can't. I mean, the, the emotions of the moment, the pain of the circumstance causes you to have questions and doubt. It's not that you don't want to believe. There's a difference. 
Jesus loved Thomas, and yet Thomas doubted and said, I can't believe even until I see the scars and touch them. Jesus didn't criticize Thomas. Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted Thomas to touch him with his doubts. Peter walked on the water. As he's walking on the water, he gets his eyes off Jesus. He's looking at the height of the waves and feeling the strength of the wind, and he sinks. Jesus doesn't say, I tried to tell you, keep your eyes on me, and let him drown. No, Jesus reached out and lifted him. He said, why did you doubt? But he didn't reject him. God's not going to reject any of us for our doubts. But we need to do something with them. We need to have a response. Let's learn today from Matthew chapter 11. It will be a beginning spot as, let's frame it up, number one, with confronting our doubts. Confront your doubts. John the Baptist, the very cousin of Jesus, the forerunner who broke the silence from the Old to the New Testament with a message that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming. This one of whom Jesus said, there's no greater, not one born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. It was John the Baptist who declared Jesus being the Lamb. Jesus walks up to the Jordan and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. What a moment. What a declaration. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But let's leave John with that kind of confidence and faith. And let's find him in Matthew chapter 11 and see how he's doing. Verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all these things that the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we look, keep looking for someone else? It's a question. Early, just months earlier, he is declaring... Behold the Lamb of God, the Christ, the Messiah. Now here he is in this part of his life saying, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Lamb of God? Now what I appreciate about John the Baptist in this passage is that he's confronting his doubts. He's not trying to act as though they don't exist, to suppress them. He's just confronting them. And I think that's a great workable lead for every one of us. Jesus doesn't criticize doubters, but I think we should step up and confront the doubt. Tim Keller has written a great book. It's called The Reason for God. He's a wonderful pastor in the the great city of New York, in the state of New York. And I, I love his thought process. And he has taken the seven major questions that an unbeliever will ask. And he's turned those to God. And he's written out of the truth of Scripture to give answers to these questions. Now, I would encourage you to read the book because Tim says he wrote it for the unbeliever who is trying to determine truth. And he wrote it for the believer who goes through difficult times and is also challenged with some of these same questions. If you're trying to help somebody who's not a Christian and they're struggling with truth, I say read that book and let it be a resource to you and help you as you communicate with them. It will give you incredible insight 
the point that I, I make with this book is that Tim Keller took the doubts. He confronted them by turning them to God. We should take our doubts and turn to God. Thomas was a doubter, but he turned to Christ with those doubts. Jesus calls Peter to walk on the water. He's doing great, but then he doubts and he begins to drown. But Peter turns back to Jesus even in all of his doubts. Turn to God with your doubts. And then I would say, as you do, you can begin to, number two, doubt your doubts. Over the last couple of weeks, this is something that the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart. Something I needed to hear. It wasn't in an audible voice. You, you know what I mean? When the Lord speaks, it's an inner voice. It's an inner leading of God. It's very clear. And his, his challenge to me was to doubt my doubts. He began to show me how quick I am to trust my doubts. And how reluctant I am to trust Him. Why would I be reluctant to trust the God of creation? The God of Scripture? The God who has breathed His Word and, and has given me so much. And yet in times of challenge, instead of doubting my doubts, I doubt the promise of God. I doubt the faithfulness of God. I doubt whether or not God is trustworthy. And the Holy Spirit, as I was doubting, just made it so clear. Why don't you doubt your doubts? Why would you doubt the God of gods, the faithful God? Peter writes that he's the faithful creator. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. There's no variableness, no shadow of turning with him. He's, he is God. His character and nature are proven well documented in the pages of scripture and the testimony of our life is that God is great. God is awesome and God is faithful and yet in times of difficulty we will doubt God rather than doubting our doubts. 90% of what we worry about will never happen. And yet we will play out those scenarios. The Israelites at the Red Sea Instead of doubting their doubts that they're not going to get across. Instead of doubting their doubts that God could protect them from Pharaoh and the army of Egypt. They doubt God. I'm thankful for Moses who was able to speak the word of just recover your footing. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Oh, I would say to us to receive this as a challenge. Doubt your doubts. Here's Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, trust in the Lord. It doesn't say trust your feelings. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not your feelings. With your heart, with your soul, with your spirit. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let God minister to your spirit and it will spill over into your feelings. Until your feelings come into alignment with truth. So you can doubt your doubts rather than doubting the truth and the promise of God to you. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord. Isn't it amazing that any bondage, any addiction, it all begins with trusting a lie rather than the truth. 
a lie that says sin will be good for you and sin will sustain you and sin will satisfy you. And because we trust that lie, instead of doubting that, we doubt that God is the source and the satisfaction and the wholeness and completeness that we long for. We trust the lie. Every addiction begins with trusting a lie. Why don't we doubt those doubts and trust God? So see, when you can come to God and just confront your doubts, saying, Lord, like John the Baptist, I need to know. There's been a time in my life where the doubt meter was, no, was of no significance. I was walking in faith and trust. But at other times, it wasn't that way. And like John, I was saying, you're the Lamb of God. Are you the Lamb of God? I've been there. Confront it. And as you confront it, you can be reminded. Don't doubt God. Doubt your doubts. How do we do that? Use the faith you have, but increase your faith. Why do I say use the faith you have? Because the faith, the grain of a mustard seed can do significant work. Let me just encourage you, when you get a chance, check out Matthew's writings on the parable of the mustard seed. Then read from Luke, who was a physician, how he writes about the parable of the mustard seed. When Matthew writes about it, and remind, Jesus reminds his disciples that if they had faith the grain of a mustard seed, they could say to the mountain, be removed, and it'd be cast into the sea. What was the context? Jesus had just cast the, a demon out of a boy. The disciples tried, but they couldn't. They want to know why they were unable and what would it take for them to be able to, to have power like that. And Jesus said, well, if you had faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, what was the mountain? Referring to the demon in the boy that seemed immovable. You could say to the impossible, be thou removed. And the impossible becomes possible when you exercise even the smallest amount of faith in God. So they said, okay, how do we do this? And Jesus said, well, this doesn't happen but by prayer and fasting. So to increase your faith, you've got to give yourself to the spiritual disciplines. And as we give ourselves to spiritual discipline, our faith is strengthened. And even if it's small, but it's faith in God. And we exercise that faith. And that's what we're doing when we confront our doubts and doubt our doubts. We'll find an expression. We'll find a response to our doubts. And no matter how big and strong the doubts are, they may be huge. But a mustard seed of faith can remove what seems to be immovable. In Luke, he says to his disciples, if you had faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be thou removed. Now they were fully aware of the metaphor because they understood that mulberry trees had such a deep, strong root system that they were immovable. The strongest of storms that took away everything couldn't take away the mulberry trees. He had just talked to them about forgiveness and how you, you never stop. No matter what offense you are to forgive, a 70 times 7, unlimited. They said, well, how do you do that? Well, if you had the faith, 
size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, unforgiveness, which then could grow into bitterness. You could say to this mountain, because unforgiveness is real and forgiving true offenses is hard. When you've been hurt, it is hard to forgive. When people that you trusted really hurt you, it is very difficult to then turn and offer forgiveness. It seems impossible. So how do you deal with it? Well, if you have faith, even if it's as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that deep-rooted unforgiveness, even like that of a mulberry tree, which is like immovable, be thou removed. And even the unforgiveness can be removed. That's the context. But he says, this comes by giving yourself to the spiritual disciplines. The way you have any measure of faith is to give yourself to prayer and the word and to the spiritual disciplines that resource faith. I've read a book over the last few weeks about a Navy SEAL. It's called Elite Six. And fascinating book. And one of the threads that runs from first to the last chapter is the intentional and intensive training. If they weren't on a mission, they were in training. And if they had downtime while on a mission, they used it for training. Driving, diving, parachuting, shooting, all of these battle tactics, they honed their skill by giving themselves to the to the certain disciplines of warfare and to the discipline of training in that approach of warfare so that in battle, they had a response to the circumstance. If we could take that same analogy and bring it into our our journey with God, if we give ourselves to the spiritual disciplines every day, to prayer and the Word, then it is increasing our faith. And then in the time of battle where doubt rises, we have a response as we confront the doubt. What gives us the strength and the ability to doubt the doubt rather than doubting God is that faith that we've nurtured in the disciplines of prayer and the Word. So now, we can confront the challenges, and find victory in spite of circumstance. Where's the doubt meter for you? really feel that God has given me this word today for all of us. I need this. But God impressed me strongly that I'd be talking to a significant group of people that need to receive this word because there's some doubt. And if we don't deal with it appropriately... It can lead to discouragement and even despair. And we will let circumstance define our theology. We'll let circumstance reduce the size of our God. Rather than saying, look at what a great God I have, I'll look at the size of the giant and doubt God. Mary Magdalene, she watches as Jesus is crucified. 
horror and the pain that Jesus went through and she's, she's watching that and experiencing that. What an unbelievable circumstance for a person to have to go through. Mary watches as they take Jesus on Friday afternoon from that cross and put him in the tomb. And now on Saturday, she's separated from him. The first and second day were intense and hard and painful. On Sunday, she's still trying to be faithful. See, this is the way we are. We have all of this pain from the circumstance and the fearfulness and the uncertainty and the doubt that's surrounding days one and two. But because we still want to be faithful, we show up on day three. And when she shows up on the third day, there's an angel at the tomb where they had placed Jesus. And the angel announces that Jesus is alive, that he had risen just as he said. But Mary doesn't go, yes. She continues to weep. She showed up crying out of her pain, out of her doubt from days one and two. And when the tomb is empty and it should be a day of celebration, she's saying, where have they taken him? Because when you've come through a very painful situation, it can cloud your perspective of even a good word from God. Have you been there? I have been there. Where the Holy Spirit is speaking to my heart. Reminding me of a promise. And I'm struggling to see the promise. And even the empty tomb. She connected it with days one and two. And she's asking where have they taken him. She's not celebrating his resurrection. But she's still trying to be faithful. Even in her pain. She's following through. Because she showed up. On that third day. To get there she had to walk the Via Dolorosa. The very road where she watched him bear the cross. She had to walk that same road. And no doubt replay in her mind. The way the crowds were cheering on. As Jesus suffered. At any moment she could have stopped. And went back home. But in all of her pain and fear. She's still trying to be faithful. In all of her doubt. There's still a measure of faith. I appreciate that. Because there are going to be days where your perspective is clouded by days one and two. And if you're going to experience what God has on the third day, you're going to have to do it out of faithfulness. Along with your fear. Along with your doubt. You're going to have to be like Thomas and say, I've got to get to Jesus even with all of my doubt. You'll you'll feel like you're drowning and there's no hope, but just go ahead and reach your hand up anyway. Go for it. So there's Mary Magdalene, and even after the angel has spoken, she goes and she's there at the garden, and she's weeping. And suddenly Jesus walks up behind her. And Jesus speaks her name. I want to come back to that, what I think is a powerful point to us about Jesus speaking her name. But before I do, I would like to give you words from some of the writings of John Ortberg who writes about 
the three-day stories in the Bible. There are many stories in Scripture that take place over three days. When a hero named Joseph was in prison, he said to Pharaoh's cupbearer, Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. When Israel was trapped in slavery, Moses asked Pharaoh, Let us take a three-day journey into the desert. When the Israelites arrived at Sinai, God said, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and be ready the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai and in the sight of all the people. When Israel was afraid to go into the promised land, God said to them, you remember it, be strong and courageous. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan and you will take possession of the land. As you continue to hear these words, we find that when Israel, all of Israel was threatened by genocide, it was Queen Esther who said that she would fast for three days, then go to the king and seek deliverance for her people. So the third day rose so often in Scripture that it became this technical expression to mean a time of waiting, but with the assurance deliverance was certain. The third day became this expression that says, there's a better time coming. The third day became an expression to mean, it may be Friday, but Sunday is on the way. So right now things are messed up and right now hope is being crushed and right now hearts are disappointed, but a better day is coming. In the book of Hosea, the prophet says, says it like this, Come, let us return to the Lord. After two days, He will revive us. But on the third day, He will restore us. That we may live in His presence. Why don't we just shout the third day? You ready? The third day. The third day is God's day. The third day is the day when the prisoners of Pharaoh get set free. The third day is when the mountains come down and the rivers rise and seas are parted as God's people experience the promised land. The third day is when the harem girl, like Esther, faces down the powerful king. The third day is the day when prophets like Jonah, and I like this, are dropped off at a seaside port by a giant fish. Did you know that happened on the third day? The third day is the day when idols like Dagon just come, crumble to the ground. When the Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant, they take it into Dagon. And, and in their city, Dagon was this huge idol. And in the middle of the night, Dagon tumbles. And the Philistines come out, and they don't understand what's happening. Somehow, somebody has come in, and, and so they put Dagon back in its place. The next day they come out and it's down again. They put it back in its place. On the third day, they come out and Dagon has crumbled into pieces. Not one Israelite soldier had done a thing. The sheer presence and the power of the presence of God was crumbling the power of the enemy. On the third day, praise God. This gets into my spirit. The third day is the day that a crucified carpenter came back to life. You never know what God is going to do because God is the God of the third day.
Now, when you realize that, it changes everything. See, our spirituality can be characterized by faithfulness and fearlessness because we live in the promise of the third day. While we sometimes live in a world of the first and second day, what I mean by that is that the pain of circumstances are so difficult that it it tempts to cloud our perspective where we find strength to confront our doubts, to doubt our doubts, and to speak to the mountain of doubt is to be reminded, though we experience days one and two, we live in the God of the third day. Now that's where foundation is built that will allow you to experience storms and when the storm passes, you are still standing because you are living in the God of the third day. God is a third day God. So let's put it all together. There are times that we have doubts. We confront them. Are you the Christ? God can handle our doubts. And because we are willing to release faith and are built on the foundation that he's the God of the third day, then we can confront those doubts in faith and that which seems so difficult, so huge, that loomed with such discouragement in our heart, suddenly gives way to the hope and the promise of the third day. If right now you've come through something, here's what I want you to experience today. Mary was there, kneeling in the garden. She's crying. She's just been told that Jesus is alive. She's still crying. Because sometimes the power of days one and two can cloud even the victory of the third day. So what happened? Jesus walks up behind her, and he calls her by name. And read the story. When he calls her by name, that's when it started changing. In your journey, you've experienced that at the lowest moments, if you can just somehow speak the name of Jesus, things begin to change because there's power in that name. Amen? It's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. That's in the book of Acts. Paul wrote that it's his name that is above every other name, above principality, power, and might, and every name that is named. John wrote, he has a name given, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you can just speak that name, it releases faith. It releases the presence and the power of God to fight for you on levels that you'll never even know. But there are times, like Mary, that life is just tough. And here's what encourages me. Jesus spoke her name. Jesus called her by name. And it reminded her. It made it all connect. And maybe today in the atmosphere of God's love and the power of his presence, maybe you just need to hear the Lord in his way let you know that he knows where you are. Maybe he's walked right up behind you just as he did Mary. And his presence is going to sweep over your soul and minister to your spirit. And that
that will spill over into your feelings. You will not be driven by your feelings, but by faith in God, the God of the third day. Amen. Let's enter a time of intercession together. Lord, we just come before you right now. We ask you to bring this word as an impact on our hearts by your presence and spirit until we are ready to respond. In the power of your love, I pray that fear would begin to vanish. I pray that doubts would be dismantled and that the God of the third day would be strong in our thinking because you're strong in our spirits. You are spirit and you're ministering to our spirits today. No matter how you feel, and I'm not undermining the power of feelings, I'm not undermining the power of days one and two, I'm just asking, will you let God minister to your spirit? You see, when Jesus spoke Mary's name, I believe it, it went to the core of her soul. The Lord's presence, it covers, it cleanses, it embraces, empowers. In the love of God, sins are forgiven. In the love of God, deliverance occurs. How He loves you. this truth today. Oh, how He loves us so. Oh, how He loves us. How He loves us so. You know, it is a testimony that you're here today. Sometimes we, we don't give the kind of credibility to that part of our testimony the fact that you're still here you could have turned your back on God you could have been far from God today because of some circumstance or circumstances in your life but in spite of the fear and the pain of those circumstances you keep showing up and because you do God has a way of showing up in manifest presence to give you encouragement for the next step the next part of your race if days one and two you've had one of those kind of experiences recently and it seeks to cloud even your perspective of a promise that the Lord would like to give you today you acknowledge that that's just called confronting your doubt but you're willing to doubt your doubts rather than doubt God you're willing to doubt your doubts and be reluctant with your doubt rather than being reluctant with God And here in a moment, I ask you to stand and just go public. I'm going to stand with you. I'm already standing, and my standing will be the first among us to say, Here I am, Lord. 
I'm going to confront my doubt, doubt my doubt, and release my faith, even if it's as small as a mustard seed. I'm going to release it so that this mountain is removed. You're the God of the third day. If that's you, you need to confront some doubt today, just begin to stand right where you are.